For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching in Psalm 16, we focus on God's goodness to us, His goodness in the past, His goodness in the present, and His goodness in the future. Now let's join Pastor Don Sanukin with a message entitled, The Love of Jesus. Whenever anybody sees my name in print, they always have the same kind of thoughts. Oh man, he's going to speak with an accent that I can't understand. And he teaches at a seminary. Over my head. Over my head. Over my head. All right. Uh, when I was dating Nell, and I was thinking about asking her to marry me, I got what I thought was a fun idea about how I would propose to her. I was in Texas at the time. I was going to seminary. She was still back in California. And so my idea was that I was going to buy 12 postcards. And on each postcard, I was going to put a Greek word. One word on one postcard. And I would sign the postcard. And she would get a dozen postcards. All of them, one Greek word, with Don on it. And these would dribble in, you know, whatever the mail service could get to her. They'd dribble in over a few days, and she'd think, well, what's going on? What's going on? You know. And then after they stopped dribbling in and no more were coming, she'd figure, okay, this is it, whatever it is, you know. <laughs> uh, and finally, she would get the idea, if I'm going to make any sense out of this at all, I've got to find somebody who knows Greek, and maybe they can tell me what this is all about. And so she would hunt up somebody who knew Greek, and the person who knew Greek would look at the card and would say, well, yeah, that, that's a Greek word for not, English, not. Uh, that's Greek for and. Uh, that's the word for gold. And, uh, you know, he'd... <laughs> they'd go through, and they'd put the Greek words under all of those. And when they got all through, they had 12 postcards with 12 Greek words under which they had put the equivalent English words. And they're still thinking, so what is this all about? So they'd probably put them all out on a table, line them up, and uh, with the Greek word and the English word underneath, and they'd move the cards around like you do with post-it notes. They'd try to figure out what it was. And eventually one of them would say, Hey, wait a minute. Is that, did Peter say something like that to the cripple at the temple when he was entering? Uh, Peter was going into the temple to worship, and outside at the gate entrance, there was a cripple who was begging money from him. And did Peter say, and the guy would say, Well, let me go get my Greek Testament. And he would go get his Greek Testament. They would hunt up that verse in Acts. And they would look at the Greek language in Acts, and what do you know? All of the words of Peter were 
And then they would say, so what, what, so what does it mean? And the guy might say, well, you know, if I didn't know better, I'd say it was a proposal. <laughs> I, I think he's saying, I'm a poor seminary student. <laughs> but whatever I have, I'll share my life with you. Well, that never happened. Uh, how it did happen is not exciting or romantic, so we won't go. But I found another verse that did apply to Nell. I was reading Psalm 16 one day, and in Psalm 16, I came across a verse, and I said, now that, that's Nell. And it was, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yeah. And I thought, then I found out, no, that's not what that means either. <laughs> it's not talking about feminine beauty or shape. Uh, the lines are not curves. Uh, the lines are boundary lines, uh, surveyor lines, measuring lines, the kind of lines that the uh, instruments draw around tracts of land or parcels to separate them from other parcels. They are surveyor lines. So that doesn't apply to Nell either. But, you know, I kind of kept reading that Psalm 16. And I found out that even though it's not a love song between a man and a woman, it is a love song between us and God. It's a song where we are enthralled with God. We are just captivated by him. Because of what he has done for us so far and what we see that he is yet going to do for us. We are just captured. We are just committed. We are we're in love with him because of how good he has been to us to this point and how good we see he is going to be to us into eternity. It's probably the greatest valentine ever written. And I'd like us to look at it on this Valentine's Day in order to remind ourselves why it is that we are so enthralled with our God because of what he has done and what he's going to do. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 16. I'll give you time to find it. About the middle of the Bible, Psalm 16. Psalm 16. David is pouring out his love to God as he reflects on what God has done and is going to do for him. Psalm 16, he begins in the first couple of verses by just saying to God, God, you mean everything to me. You're the center of my life. No one and nothing means as much to me as you do. I don't have any good that doesn't come from you. Let's read it, verses one and two. Keep me safe, O God. In you I take refuge. I have abandoned myself to you. I have put myself in your hands. I said to the Lord, you're my 
Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You mean everything to me. You're, you're more important to me. You matter more to me than anything else. Now, you may notice that there are three different words for God uh, that David is using. Uh, he's using G-O-D, and then he's using capital L, capital O, capital R-D, and then he's using capital L, but small O-R-D. All three of those are different Hebrew words in the Old Testament. When he says, you are, I keep me safe, O God, God is the word for deity, the supreme being. David is praying to God. Whenever in your Bible you see capital, all capital letters, that's the name of God. Uh, just like Baal was the name of the Canaanite God, just like Dagon was the name of the Philistine God, the Hebrew, God, Hebrew, the God of the Hebrews, when Moses said, what is your name? This is what came. My name is Yahweh. Uh, I am, I will be. Uh, Yahweh is Israel's God. Yahweh is the, how the God of the universe revealed himself in a personal relationship to the people of Israel. This is how they knew him as their God, okay? David is praying to the God who he has come to know personally, Yahweh, and he says to him, you, the God I have come to know personally, you are the master of my life. Small, capital L, small letters, you are the one who controls my life. You are the one who directs my life. You are the one who cares for me. You protect me. You are the one who provides for me. You are the center of my life. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. You mean more to me than anything else. Nothing matters to me as much as you do. You are my Lord. I remember when this hit me with the greatest force that, that God really was the center of my life. That he, he mattered, he, he meant more to me than anything else. I remember when this hit me. I, I was a young pastor in Arizona. I was pastoring Scottsdale Bible Church. And we were wanting to hire a youth pastor. And we were in touch with a young man and we brought him to Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, to interview him and to candidate him. His name was Gary Tangeman. And in order to see how well Gary connected with our teenagers, we arranged a Saturday picnic out at some park, uh, sports activities, games, uh, followed by hot dogs, chips, Cokes. And after everybody had eaten, we would settle down under the trees and we would listen to Gary as he would give a message to them. And so I and some of the other leaders of the church were naturally there because we wanted to see how does he interact during the activity time and can he be effective if he's speaking to them. So it came that we were all settled down under the trees and Gary came up to speak. Before he sp spoke, he passed out a small piece of paper and a pencil to each one of us, everybody. Piece of paper and a pencil. And he said, before I start, I want you to write down the five things that mean the most to you in life. Write down five things you would not want to live without. It can be a person. Uh, it can be something you own. 
Uh, it can be something you do, maybe an activity or a skill. It can be anything you want, but it's five things that you would not want to live without. Because I'm not going to ask you to show it. I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. It's going to be very private. It's all yours. But I want you to write it down. Five things that you would not want to live without. So we all wrote down five things, knowing that nobody was going to see it after I got through with it. Okay? And uh, I wrote down God, my wife, the children, being pastor of Scottsdale Bible, that was important. I mean, I was kind of a young pastor. It's kind of who I was and what I did. And racquetball. Racquetball got on that list. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, uh, you know, you take it off the back wall and you kill it into the corner. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Great exercise. A little bit of carnality competitiveness. Kept me in shape, played twice a week. Hey, man, don't take that away from me. All right. So we all wrote down our five things. Then Gary said, now, if you've got to give one of them up, which one would it be? <sighs> well, I mean, you know, compared to the other things on the list, that's not that hard to decide. So ball went. Okay. Then he said, if you have to give up another one, you wouldn't want to live without it, but if you had to give it up, what would you give up? All of a sudden, we figured where this thing is going. <laughs> We're not sure how we feel about that, but we'll go along for the time being. So I thought, okay, I've got to make a decision that another one's got to go. Well, you know, I mean, pastor is who I am, pastor is what I do, but if I gave it up, I could probably figure out something else to do. So uh, it's gone. And then, we did, then he did what we were afraid he was going to do. If you had to give up another one, you would resist it. You would scream, no, don't want to. But if you were forced to give up another one, which one would go off the list? All right, now, all of a sudden now, there's just a lot of tension and anxiety out in the group. And teenagers, whenever they get under a lot of tension, they try to make jokes, you know. And so one of the teenagers shouted out to the group, Steve, Steve was the high school sponsor, Steve's trying to decide between Shelly and the dog. <laughs> Shelly was Steve's beautiful wife, bride of only two or, two or three months. And Steve shouted back, Shelly's already gone. <laughs> I mean, everybody was feeling the cut, the pain. I mean, this is not a decision we wanted to make. And I'm looking at my list and I'm thinking, oh man. You know, we had two or three kids 
Well, we, we were young. There, there could be more kids. I mean, I mean if, that, you know, if I were faced with this choice at some horrible moment in the future, what, what would I do? And I thought, And then he came again. And he says, okay. If you could only have one in your life, which one would it be? You would never want to make this choice. But if you were forced to, if you had no other alternative, which one would it be? And by now, we were all dead serious into this. We were really looking at the core of our lives. And I thought, okay. And I started to think of, all right, if I had to live without Nell, and then I thought, okay, now, what would it be like if there was no God in my life? And as soon as I started to go down that path, I shut down. I thought, I can't, I can't go there. I can't go there. If I had to live without Nell, I don't know what my life would be like, but I could make it. There'd be a void. I might not be the same person I am now, but I could go on. I could, I could. But if there's no God in my life, what's the point? If there's no God, what, what, what's the purpose? If there's no God in control of my life, then that means that everything that happens to me is just totally random, meaningless. If there's no God who has an eternal future for me, if at the end there's no me, if at my death there's no me, there's no awareness, there's no consciousness, there's no thinking, there's no thoughts, there's no existence, if there's no me, what, what is the point? And at that moment I realized you are my Lord. You matter more to me than anything else. Nothing else is as important as you are. Apart from you, nothing else matters. You are my Lord. The center of my life. I have nothing good if you're not there. Then David goes on to say, and I look at your people. I look at your saints. I look at the fellow believers, and I'm just dazzled by them. They amaze me. You're the center of their life, too. And look what their lives are like with you at the core. Look at them in their, when they go to work. Look, look at their integrity. Look at, look at how 
kind they are to others around them. Look at how diligent they are to do the work well. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them in their homes. Look at the love in their parenting. Look at, look at how they support one another in their marriages. Look, look, at their, look at their service to your people, just unassuming, quiet, faithful. They just show up with no fanfare. And Oh, God. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones. I'm just impressed with them. I delight in them because they too share you. Not everybody is that way. There are people who do not know you. There are people that, that do not have you as the God in their life. They, In fact, they chase other gods. They have other goals. They have other ambitions. Some of them chase fame, glamour. Others of them chase money. Oh, Lord, I, I, God, I look at their lives and I don't see that there's anything happier fulfilling happening you know as for those the sorrows of those who run after other gods their sorrows are just going to increase I mean I look at their lives and I think what kind of a life is that I'm not going to chase after those goals those ambitions I'll not name those kinds of uh, gods on my lips I'll not show pour out my life in a sacrifice to them uh, look at those who, who chase after fame or glamour a marriage lasts for two years. Try another one. It lasts for two years. Try another one. It lasts for two years as, as they run around and be faithless to each other. As the years go on, the children die of drug overdose or have nothing to do with the parents. And if you manage to escape all of that, if you're chasing after fame and glamour, as soon as you step out of your house, 30 paparazzi in your face, three feet away, Taking pictures, hoping to sell the pictures to one of the magazines. And some of them are shouting ugly things to you, hoping that they'll get a rise out of you, hoping that some reaction will be, because if they can take a picture of that, that's a $5,000 sale to the magazine. Oh, Lord. What kind of a life is that? The sorrows of those will increase who chase after, oh God, not. money? Oh God, you've given me enough money, but I, I'm not going to make that my God either. I mean, I see what happens, you know. What kind of a person do you become when you chase after money? You become a hard person. You become calculating. You become dog-eat-dog. -dog. You, you become, I don't care who hurts as long as I get more. What kind of a heart is that? Shriveled? Dry? Always looking over your shoulder to see if somebody you did in is going to try to get revenge on you? The whole thing will be pulled out from under you. Oh, Lord, I'm not going after those gods. You are my God. You are my Lord. You're the center of my life. Now, what makes David say that? What makes him pour out his love, his commitment? What makes him so enthralled, so captivated? It's because, 
everywhere he looks up to this point, he sees God's goodness to him. And when he looks into the future, he sees that God is going to be good to him forever. He is enthralled because of all that God has done and all that God is going to do. He starts out by looking at the past and he says, oh God, what a life you've given me. He writes, Lord, you have assigned me my portion. You've assigned me my cup. Uh, The cup was their picture for the experiences of life. It was the circumstances. It was the events of life. Uh, Jesus once said to the disciples, can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? Can you go through what I'm going to go through? Can you experience what's ahead that I'm going to have to experience? This is my cup. This is my portion. This is what has been given to me to live. God, you've assigned my portion. You've assigned my cup. And oh, Lord, what you've given me to live is just great. You've made my lot secure, the casting of the lots. The lot that fell to me was good and it is secure. It is not going to change. It is stable. The boundary lines have fallen in a very pleasant way for me. Uh, I've just got a marvelous inheritance. And he's using the language there of lot, boundary lines, inheritance. He's using the language that was used in the book of Joshua when the nation had crossed over Jordan, had defeated the Canaanites, and the land was now going to be divided up among the different tribes and clans and families. And the way the the land was divided up, they brought out the surveyor lines, they brought out the measuring lines, they drew the lines, they marked off the the plots, uh, they did the measurements, and now they threw the, the lots. And this piece of tr- land went to this tribe. And this tract of territory went to this clan. And this particular plot of garden went to this family. And the lots determined where the boundaries and inheritance would be. And David said, you know, whatever you, however you worked it out, God, boy, did I get a good deal. Did I get a good deal? Yeah. Oh, God, you've given me love. You've given me family. You've given me friends. You've given me strength. You've given me productive work. Everywhere I look, I say, Lord, you've given me great joy. My lot is secure. My life is stable. I have money that I know I will not go without food. At night, I know that I am safe from harm or from weather. Lord, I love you because of how good you've been to me. But then David also turned to look at the future. And he saw that God's love was never going to stop coming to him. God's goodness. He was never going to be separated from God's goodness. He was never going to be shaken from God's goodness. God's goodness would never 
stop. His death would not stop God's goodness. His burial would not interrupt God's goodness because he saw that God's goodness was going to go through his death and through his burial and take him into eternity with pleasures forever at God's presence. It was joy now and joy forever. That's what he goes on to say. He says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. He is now thinking into the future. And on his bed at night, he is remembering some things that God has said to him. And he's beginning to understand the significance of them. His heart is counseling. His heart is teaching him. Here is the meaning of what God has told you. And he discovers in that as his heart is instructed by God as to what God has in store for him, David sees that what God has in store for him is that even though his body is put into the grave, he will never be abandoned to the grave. God will not leave him in the grave. God is going to resurrect him and God is going to take him into his presence into the future forever. This is what he begins to see. And he says, I will praise the Lord. Okay, I have set the Lord, because I have set the Lord always before me, because the Lord is at my right hand, I'll never be shaken from how good he's going to be to me. My heart is glad, my tongue, it rejoices. Why? Because my body, when it goes into the grave, it's going to be secure. It will not be abandoned. It will not be left there. You will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see destruction. You decay. You have made known to me the path of my life. And what you have made known to me is that you intend to fill me with joy in your presence. You intend to fill me with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And somebody says, well, how David did see decay. What does David mean when he says, uh, I'm glad my tongue rejoices. I'm going to be secure because you're not going to abandon me to the grave. You'll not let your holy one see decay. What, what, what is David saying there? Because he did die. He did see decay. What David is saying is that at night, my heart caused me to remember promises that God had made to me. That there would always be one of my descendants who would sit on the throne after me that somewhere in my dynasty of sons there would be one of my sons who would be so holy that God would not let him see decay one of my sons would be so holy that when he died he would be taken out of the grave before his body decomposed the resurrection of my son, my Davidic son, my descendant, the Holy One, the resurrection of him in three days is God's promise to me that my body will not be abandoned in the grave, that I too will be raised for eternity. 
these words here, you will not abandon me to the grave, you will not let your holy one see decay, they are referred to Jesus, David's son, twice in the New Testament. Two times, somebody speaking before a large audience quotes these words as applying to Jesus Christ. Peter, uh, a few days after the resurrection, thousands of people in the temple square. Here's what Peter said. Brothers, I can, confident, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David, he died. He was buried and he's still there. His tomb is there to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him by an oath that God would one day place one of his descendants on a throne. And with a prophet's eye that could see into the future, seeing what was ahead, David spoke of the resurrection of that descendant, Christ. That he would not be abandoned to the grave and his body would not see decay. And my brothers, this is what has happened in our day. Jesus has been raised to life. Several years later, Paul found himself in a Jewish synagogue. And as he spoke to the Jews in the synagogue, Paul, Paul wrote, said, the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. God said, I will give you what I promised to David, the holy and sure blessings. And these blessings are stated elsewhere as this. I will not let your holy one See decay. Now that didn't apply to David. When David had served God's purposes in his own generation, fell asleep, buried, body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. David looked to the future and he saw that God would raise some holy son of his before that son's body ever decomposed out of the grave in three days that that was God's promise to David that his own body would not stay abandoned in the grave, that he would never be separated from God's goodness. He would never be shaken from God's goodness. The grave would not stop it. His burial would not interrupt it because God was going to continue his goodness into David's eternity. And that's why David could say, my body will rest secure You'll not abandon me to the grave. You'll fill me with joy in your presence, eternal pleasures at your right hand. And my friend, that's God's promise to you. That's your future. If you know Christ as your Savior, yeah, one day your body will be put in the grave. One day you'll be buried. But that's not the end of you. Deep inside you, deep inside you, you know that there is some part of you, some part of you, there is some part of you that is eternal. As you exist now, as you sit right where you sit, you know that some part of you is eternal. There is a me inside there a me that is different than the body. There is a me in there that continues 
that keeps existing. When my body is put in the grave, there is still a me. And someday that me is going to be joined to a resurrected body to live forever in God's presence. On this Valentine's Day, let your love for God be known because of joy now and joy forever. Father, you are the center of our life when we quiet ourselves and think about it, deep inside we come to the conclusion you mean more to us than anything. Apart from you, nothing matters. And we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.